Good morning. We find the scripture for today in Isaiah 58, verse 12, and it reads, I will help you rebuild the old waste places and raise up the foundations laid by previous generations. You will be known as the people who build things up, who restore what is ruined. You will be known as repairers of broken walls and restorers of path to walk in. Amen. Since I can remember, I have been interested in civilization and civilizations. I don't always keep them straight, but I always enjoy learning something about them. And starting with any sort of architectural thing I could find or uh, archaeological thing I could find, uh, even more precisely in the uh, National Geographic, for example, or anything sociological, I always enjoyed that even as a youth. So it has fascinated me through the years to observe as I've gone different places, ancient places, to see layer after layer after layer of civilization. It is a mystery to me how things become buried. We were at Thomas Jefferson's, no, James Madison's home in Virginia this last summer. And they were doing archaeology there, looking for the old kitchen that was separated from the main house for fire reasons. And the old kitchen uh, foundations were being exposed, and at this point were 18 inches or so below ground level. Now, how we accumulate 18 inches of dirt between the 1700s and now I have no idea but things seem to just sort of disappear and then things get built on top of them what they would find would be little fragments of a plate but they could identify it as something from the royal palace in France or they could find uh, an iron implement of some sort and connect it with hardware of the time doesn't seem like very racy or sexy stuff but when you put it all together it paints a picture of what was and the daily life and purposes of the people when you go to ancient sites whether we're talking about the Middle East proper or whether we're talking about the Near East whether we're talking about parts of China uh, whether we're talking about places like Israel or Jordan you find ancient places in which there is level after level after level one of the places this last December when I was in Israel we went to was called Bet Shean. Little hill, 18 layers of civilization. Now, I looked around and I thought, what on earth did 18 layers of civilization have to do here? The land isn't remarkable, at least to my untrained eye. The location may have once been vital, but any caravans or any trading routes or any military roads or anything that would have been important at the time has long since disappeared. Why would people rebuild? What could be so important about a place that over and over and over again they would resurrect stones? You go to a place like Jericho and you read the the prophecy in scripture in which it was said Jericho won't be rebuilt and anyone who rebuilds it will be accursed. And you still see a mound of remains. 
go to a place like Megiddo, which is in the valley of Armageddon, layer after layer, on the crossroads of a military highway, strategic importance was high. Solomon's chariot forces were stationed there, and his stables were there. So these places were subject to attack. Some ancient cities you find walls 20 feet thick, made of stones that you and I could never figure out how to move, an inch, let alone the miles from the quarries they came from. Such dedication. And we know, of course, the story of Ezra and Hezekiah, and not Hezekiah, Ezra and, and Nehemiah, and the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the temple and, and all of that there. Mostly the walls of Jerusalem, just to have something of a city again. Then I got to thinking about what it means to rebuild. You might rebuild because there's water there, and in a desert, water is everything. You might rebuild because even though the stones lay in a heap, you don't have to re-quarry them. They're there in plenty. You might rebuild because it is your inheritance, the land of your fathers and their fathers and their fathers' fathers. You might rebuild because it's all you ever knew. You might rebuild because you're commanded to, or told to, or freed to, or enabled to. But it occurred to me that it is there, part of a legacy, part of a promise. Isaiah 58, 59, 60, 61, 62, so rich. Prophecies about Christ. Words that he said were fulfilled in people's ears in Nazareth as he spoke and read them. Descriptions of the glory of Zion. And today's text, 58, 12. Your people, this prophecy says, will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. We've read Isaiah 58 so many times, but that's never stepped out and struck me. What we often see in this passage is what it means to be truly penitent or truly fasting. How God doesn't desire our offerings or our sacrifices, but desires justice and love and mercy. Shout it aloud and do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways. As if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of fasting you do as you please. You exploit and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife. 
and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen, only, for a, uh, only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed or for lying on sackcloth and ashes? We read this recently. Is this what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen instead? To loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not your to share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see him, the naked, to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear and your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always and satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. And then we get to this. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins. What Jesus quotes from Isaiah in Matthew when he says, I was hungry and you fed me, naked and you clothed me in prison and you came to me. This is the fasting the Lord desires and requires. And in the midst of this context is a promise of rebuilding. And then in 13, it returns to this. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and doing as you please on my holy day, and oh, have people abused that particular passage. I just have to throw this one out for free. That does not mean having nothing fun or pleasurable on Sabbath day to do. That is a distortion and a lie. You cannot call the Sabbath a delight and make it a day of sour pickles. What we miss in this passage is the same thing that's spoken of earlier. On the day of fasting, you do as you please. You do unjust things. You fail to love mercy and you fail to walk humbly. So he comes back to Sabbath and he says, keep from doing as you please. You see, it's not referring to Sabbath as a feast day, meaning don't eat well or don't love one another or don't engage in sexual activity or don't this or don't that. That isn't the pleasure that is being referred to here. It is the way we live our lives unjustly. It is the way in which we fail to serve those around us. If you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable... And if you honor it by not going your own way or doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. And what that means is you can take that to the bank. 
in the midst of this huge passage, which I've just read you, is the statement about rebuilding. And I think about the layers of our lives and the way in which they're torn down from time to time. Our lives are decimated in different ways in different seasons. Sometimes it has to do with financial loss. Sometimes it has to do with love lost. Sometimes it has to do with changes that we don't want to see or have to make. And the loss in those changes is what we must mourn. Sometimes we're devastated. Sometimes life seems to flow. But as layers of our lives are turned to rubble, in the midst of it all, we're called to rebuild. Because the Lord is our inheritance. His Sabbath is our delight. His way of loving and dealing with people is the fast that he desires. And we are called to rebuild. And so I want to encourage you this Sabbath day. I am not immune, by the way. I go through these decimations myself. I go through these moments of rubble and ruin in my own life. And it's not always external, is it? Sometimes our lives are in a tatter because of poor choices we've made. Because of sins that beset. Because of habits we have difficulty breaking. Rebuild. The Lord will be our keeper. The Lord will be one who blesses. The Lord will restore us to our house and our day of rejoicing. But we must rebuild. And so whatever it is in your life today that's been decimated recently, whatever walls have been knocked out, whatever civilization has been taken from you, be of good courage. For the Lord will be our God. And so may the Lord our God give us the grace and the courage, the strength and the purpose, the inheritance and the hope that we may rebuild and that he may be our God and we may be his people. Amen.